All right, today we come to John chapter 19. Uh, this is a grim chapter in the Gospel of John. Jesus is mocked, he is beaten, he is tried again, he is crucified, he is killed, and he is buried. <laughs> and um, that's the whole chapter. We're, we are grateful, though, that this isn't the end of the story. So uh, we, have, we have a couple of chapters still to go. But let's, let's think about some things we find here. Um, and uh, let's think first about this. There's a statement that I've heard many times that has always bothered me. Um, those who those who say it don't always have bad intentions, though sometimes they do. Sometimes it's simply said out of a genuine misunderstanding. The statement I'm referring to often goes something like this. A sin is a sin, and all sins are the same before the Lord. And perhaps you've thought something along these lines before and, and at times in my life I have but I think it needs some clarification and Jesus gives us a good start because he makes a statement in this chapter that seems flatly to refute it in verse 11 Jesus tells Pilate you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin the greater sin so that seems to fly in the face of the notion that a sin is a sin is a sin i mean in the judgment uh of jesus himself some sins are greater than others some sins are more serious than others and have more severe consequences when we hear this it also has a ring of truth to it so where did the notion of a sin is a sin is a sin come from well my best guess is perhaps that it stems from another truth Namely, that just one sin, regardless of its severity, renders us guilty before a holy God. We ended yesterday's podcast with a statement from the Second London Baptist Confession saying just that. Um, one sin, regardless of its severity, makes us guilty before a holy God. A man who commits murder is guilty before God. A man who stretches the truth is guilty before God. Both have one thing in common. Both are acts of rebellion against a holy God, and both alike separate us from our holy God. We might also add that Jesus can forgive any sin and doesn't weigh them by degrees in doing it. So in those, in those senses, and in those senses only, a sin is a sin is a sin. But the truth is, and it is confirmed by Jesus in this chapter, that not every sin is the same. This is true both for believers and unbelievers from an eternal perspective. For unbelievers, some sins are worse than others and add to the severity of their condemnation and judgment. Consider how this theme appears in passages like Matthew 10, 15, 11, 22, and 24, or Hebrews 10, 29. From a more immediate perspective, obviously the earthly consequences of some sins are greater than others. This is true also even for believers, though... Uh, Believers are through Christ forgiven and delivered from all the condemnation at the final judgment. We nevertheless endure the inevitable earthly consequences of our sinful choices. And by this, we know that some sins carry greater consequences than others. Sometimes people, even professing Christians, uh, sometimes live with the mindset that a sin is a sin is a sin in an effort to minimize their consciously sinful choices or to try to convince themselves that it's really not that bad. But make no mistake, all sin is rebellion against the Lord and comes with inevitable consequences, but some are greater than others, according to Jesus. 
Let's see, secondly, that it happened according to plan. One thing that we see repeatedly emphasized in this chapter is the fact that seemingly everything that happened to Jesus throughout his trial and crucifixion was in fulfillment of prophecies long before foretold. This was also an emphasis in each of the Gospels that we already studied. Here in John 19, John uh, mentions that the soldiers casting lots for Jesus' garments was in fulfillment of Psalm 22:18. We saw that in John 19:24. Jesus receiving sour wine to quench his thirst on the cross in in verse 28 was in fulfillment of Psalm 69:17. Jesus giving up his spirit to death before the soldiers came and broke his legs in verse 36 was in fulfillment of Psalm 32, excuse me, Psalm 34:20. John's point is clear this was no mistake Um, this was the plan of God from all eternity again Isaiah 53 uh, especially verse 10 is is really instructive here and we are told in Acts 2 23 and Acts 4 verses 27 and 28 this same thing this is why Jesus was able to say earlier in the gospel in John 10 18 no one takes my life from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. And finally, let's think again about Nicodemus. I think it's worth noting, and it's certainly interesting, that in this chapter we encounter Nicodemus one more time. Remember that Nicodemus was the Pharisee who in chapter 3 came to Jesus by night, it says, in order to inquire more about him. And even at that point, John leads the reader to believe that there was something different about this particular Pharisee. Jesus teaches him back in chapter 3 about the necessity of being born again in order to see the kingdom of God. And perhaps this was prophetic of what was taking place in Nicodemus's heart. Then we, as he kept reading John, we met him again along the way in chapter 7, sort of finding him there showing more sympathy toward Jesus than his other fellow Pharisees that was in John 7 verses 48 through 52 if you want to look back there and and so it seemed there that we were seeing a what appeared to be a spiritual progress in the heart of Nicodemus and his heart wasn't so hard toward Jesus as were the others and now here in chapter 19 we encounter Nicodemus a third and final time in the gospel this time he is openly helping uh, to retrieve the the body of Jesus and give him a proper burial in verse 39 And I believe it demonstrates that Nicodemus was at that time a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, it's just a wonderful reminder that many uh, do not have testimonies of dramatic, instantaneous conversions. Rather, like Nicodemus, the process of coming to Jesus often happens over a long period of time. In both cases, the Lord works in the way that he chooses. One is just as glorious as the other. It is also an incentive for us never to stop praying for and never to stop sharing with and witnessing to someone that we desire to come to Christ. Um, You never know the way that the Lord is working. And those are just some thoughts from John chapter 19.